The first reading today is Genesis chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. Lamech said to his wives, Adar and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel, because Cain killed him. And our second reading today is Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe! Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord, all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father, will also do to you, every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is God's Word. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Angus Courtney. I'm the site pastor at St. Oswald's in Haverfield. And I'm going to be bringing us uh, the message this morning from that chapter, Matthew 18. If you have your Bible with you, you might like to open that up to Matthew chapter 18. Otherwise, uh, I'll be uh, giving you some verses as we go along. You should know that they've got a countdown timer on me this morning, 22 minutes, which seems a little bit unfair when you've got to talk about a topic as big as forgiveness, 21, 25, 24, 23. So we're going to keep moving in part because... Uh, I've also got a family with young children at home, and I might be asking for forgiveness later if I go on too long. That's our topic today, beautiful forgiveness. 
And I'm going to give you the basic point of it all right up the front here. Just as we sometimes say that hurt people hurt people, Jesus teaches that forgiven people forgive people. But you and I both know that that's much more difficult to live than to say. The 20th century Catholic intellectual G.K. Chesterton once quipped, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. See, when was the last time somebody hurt you? When is the last time somebody said something about you that was unkind or just untrue? When was the last time somebody dropped you or dumped you? When was the last time you really valued a connection to something, somebody and they ignored you or simply forgot that you existed? When was the last time someone lied to you or lied about you? And for you, it might not be just a one-off thing as much as a constant pattern of someone's reacting and responding and behaving that over time just drains the life out of you. What are you going to do with that? Maybe lockdown for you has taken otherwise tolerable relationships and made them prickly in a way that presses every button and has you harboring resentment and inner rage. What are you going to do with that? Jesus says, forgiven people, forgive people. And maybe you're listening and already you're crossing your arms and you're closing your heart and you're like, nah, there is no way I'm going to do that. There's no way I can do that. And if that's you, please keep listening. Jesus has something important for us to hear. Or maybe there's something about this vision of becoming a forgiving person that makes you curious. You're interested Through life, you've had the opportunity to see deeply embittered, resentful people and you think to yourself, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be stuck on an endless treadmill of payback and retaliation and revenge. And so you hear this possibility of becoming a more forgiving person and you think, I'm interested. Tell me more. As we open up this teaching from Jesus today, we're going to look at three things. Number one, the starting point of forgiveness. Number two, the costliness of forgiveness. And number three, the necessity of forgiveness. So let's get into it. The place to start in becoming a more forgiving person, we learn from this passage, is not just to go out and try to be more forgiving. It's to see with increasing depth just how much we need forgiveness too. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter the disciple comes to Jesus with a question about the limits of forgiveness because surely there has to be a line somewhere. And Jesus tells this parable. And the key detail in the parable is the magnitude of the debt. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, For this reason... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. 
When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children, and all his possessions and payment to be made. Your Bible might have a footnote to that, to say that a single talent was worth about 15 to 20 years' wages for a labourer. And this servant owes 10,000 of them. That's like taking all of Australia's JobKeeper debt and placing it on one individual. I love the way the servant responds. I mean, he's got nothing if not chutzpah. Verse 26, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Are you kidding me? He'd have more chance of lassoing the moon and giving it to the king. It's an impossible amount to repay. But then we read in verse 27, and this is a picture of God's mercy, if ever you wanted one from the Bible, and out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave the debt. Do you see the point? You and I owe God more than we could ever possibly repay. That's the starting point of forgiving others to view ourselves as impossibly out of our depth when it comes to the debt that we have incurred to the King of Heaven. We're 10,000 talents in the red, every single one of us, but God in His tremendous, overwhelming mercy forgives. He wipes out, cancels zeros, pays our debt. And what's tragic is that we can get to a place where we're so familiar with the Christian story that we're no longer stunned by this reality. We talk about grace all the time and we sing the great hymns like Amazing Grace, but we're so used to it and immune to it that we forget just what kind of desperate situation we're in without the forgiving grace of God. And so I want to pause here for a moment and I want you to think about your last week or two. Just reflect back in your head. Were there moments where you failed to use your time to enrich the lives of others? Were there days where you went pretty much the whole day thinking only about yourself? Have you used your words carelessly or maliciously or hurt someone by your icy silence? Did you complain about someone made in the image of the Creator God, someone the Lord Jesus thought was worth dying for? Have you given God appropriate praise and thanks for all His blessings to you? Have you done things that you can't name out loud this morning because of who you're watching church with? Have you let your devotion to anything else in your life get in the way of your devotion to God? The starting point of becoming a forgiving person is recognizing how desperately and deeply we need the forgiveness of God. And how wonderfully good it is that God is like this king who out of pity for us, out of mercy, releases us and forgives our debt. And that brings us to our second point this morning, the costliness of forgiveness 
See, what makes forgiveness so difficult, what we struggle with, is that it always costs something to forgive. Forgiveness is, to use the words of theologian Miroslav Volf, the generous release of a genuine debt. But if forgiveness is the release of a debt, emotional, relational or physical, then it means the only way to forgive is to absorb the loss yourself. To choose not to pay it back, to not seek retribution or revenge. We see that in this parable, don't we? The king shows great mercy to the slave. He forgives the debt, but at great personal expense, he loses 10,000 talents in the process. That slave goes out and he meets a fellow slave who owes him a hundred denarii, and that's not a small amount either. A denarius was the average daily pay for a laborer, and so we're talking about almost a third of a year's wages owed. And Jesus is not saying that this doesn't matter. He's not saying that the ways that people hurt us don't matter and that the pain that people inflict isn't real. It is real. And to forgive it, for him to have forgiven it, would have been to absorb that debt. To not pay it back, but to pay it down himself. And the reason that we find it difficult to forgive is because when someone hurts us, we incur a debt, a pain debt. And we want to get our pain debt down. And the easiest way to do that is to inflict pain back. There's something irrational about forgiveness. What's rational is to keep score. You do something to hurt me, I do something to hurt you. We secretly relish seeing someone get what they deserve, even if it's the hands, at the hands of someone else rather than at our own. Do you see why forgiveness is costly? Because forgiveness says, instead of making you pay, I release you of that debt and I'll pay it down myself. I'll bear the cost of it myself. This is why Tim Keller writes in one of his books, forgiveness is always a form of costly suffering. And if you've ever had to forgive someone for a deep wound, you'll know that's true. Genuine forgiveness involves suffering. In fact, one of the ways that you can tell that you are forgiving someone is that you feel the cost of it. Because if you don't, then it may be that there was nothing really to forgive in the first place, or it may be that you've merely tucked away the wrong that was inflicted upon you as ammunition for a future fight. That's not forgiveness, that's just postponing revenge. Forgiveness is costly. You know, it was costly for God to forgive our sins. We say that God forgives freely, but it wasn't free for him. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he was paying off debts that weren't his. He was paying off debts that were ours. God does not simply erase our debts. He paid for them. It's not just that our debts are cancelled, there's a price tag and Jesus paid it. 
He paid our debts in full. There is nothing you owe, no clause in the contract that means that if you don't measure up to your end of the bargain or your debt will be put right back on you, you're free, free because Jesus paid it all. And this is so important to remember when somebody hurts you. When somebody says something that's unkind or just untrue. When somebody drops you or dumps you, when somebody lies about you or to you, when somebody presses all your buttons and makes your life far less comfortable and straightforward than you wish it would be. See, what you need to remember in those moments is that what was given to you in Jesus is far more powerful than what has been taken from you. The reality of the cross, when you comprehend it and it sinks into your heart, is that what was done for you is far more powerful than what was done to you, however damaging and destructive that might have been. And once you've experienced this forgiveness, it can't help but change you. It brings us to our third point, the necessity of forgiveness. See, what frightens us about this parable is the way it concludes. Verse 32, Then the slave's lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I know some of you are thinking, Angus, please tell me Jesus isn't saying what it sounds like he's saying. Because it sounds like he's saying that God's forgiveness of us hinges on our forgiveness of others, and that feels out of step with what we're taught about grace not being earned but being an undeserved gift. Well, Jesus is not saying that forgiving will get you into heaven. What he's saying is the way that you know that heaven has gotten into you is that you forgive. An unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron, a walking contradiction, because once you realize that you're walking out of the king's palace with the greatest imaginable forgiveness of sins, it makes no sense to hold the comparably small sins of others against them, even if they've caused deep pain. One writer puts it this way, from God's point of view, The distance between being ordinarily sinful, what we all are, and extremely sinful, what the people we don't like seem to be, is like the distance between London and Paris, or say Sydney and Canberra, seen from the point of view of the sun. It's not that it doesn't matter, there's a real distance there, but it in comparison with the amount of forgiveness that we have received from God, what we're asked is to take a small step. 
Now think of it like a tandem bicycle. You look at a tandem bike and you think, hmm, that's interesting. Two sets of handlebars, two seats and two sets of pedals, but only one bike. God's forgiveness and our forgiveness are not the same thing, no. But for followers of Jesus, they're indivisibly related. We forgive because God has forgiven us. In fact, we forgive out of the forgiveness that we have received from God. When you forgive someone else, you pass a drop of water out of the bucketful that you have been given by God. And that means, as we saw last week, that you and I must always be open to forgiving. Peter asked Jesus, should I forgive seven times? The rabbis of Jesus' day taught that someone should be given three times and then no more. So Peter has doubled it and added one to the number of completion. He thinks he's done a great job, but Jesus blows it out of the water. In effect, to say there should be no limit on your willingness an openness to forgive because of the incredible forgiveness that we have received from God. It doesn't mean that forgiveness will be easy. It doesn't mean that you will necessarily trust the person again or straight away. Forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. It doesn't mean that the relationship will necessarily be restored. That takes genuine repentance and time, and in some instances, instances may not be possible this side of glory. But forgiveness does mean that you let go of holding that sin against them, of counting it against them, because you know that you have been forgiven far more in Jesus then you're being called upon to forgive. See, forgiveness is costly, yes. But Jesus' parable shows us that unforgiveness is also costly. It's costly because a persistent attitude of unforgiveness demonstrates that you've not really known, not really experienced the forgiveness of God. But even on a relational level, unforgiveness is costly. The slave in the parable seizes his fellow slave by the throat and he's choking him as he demands payment in full. By the end of the story, he's been thrown into prison. Yes, but he's already in chains because of his unforgiveness. He's not free. He's controlled by what this other slave has done to him. He's boxed in, he's trapped. And it's the same for you and I when we are stuck in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will do that to you. When we make the other person pay the debt, we're becoming like the evil, the sin that we're trying to pay back. It's getting into us. It's hardening us. It will change us. But when there's forgiveness, you're free. And forgiveness creates new possibilities and new beauty in the relationship. I read one thing this week about the possibility that forgiveness creates of growing and healing and maturing in your relationships. Because that cycle of repentance and forgiveness 
and healing and restoration means that your story now contains more and more signs of the grace and work of God and that deepens your relationships. The truth is there are a few things that more damage the witness of the church to the risen Lord Jesus than a community of unforgiveness. And at the same time, there are a few things more compelling than a community that takes the practice of forgiving each other's debts and makes them a priority because we know what we've experienced, the greater forgiveness of God. Corrie ten Boom, you may know, found herself in a Nazi concentration camp during the Second World War, not because she was Jewish herself, but because she was involved with her family in sheltering and hiding Jewish people. She was a committed believer and follower of Jesus, and after the war, she was involved in ministry throughout Europe, including in Germany. She recalls the story one day in 1947, two years after the war, of speaking at a church in Munich about the forgiveness of God. After the service, a man approached her and thanked her for her message and delighted in knowing that sins were forgiven by God, and Corey recognized his face instantly. He didn't remember her, but she remembered him as one of the SS guards who had stood guard at the shower room door at the Ravensbrook concentration camp. He put his hand out to shake hers, and she writes... And I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand by my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth and charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took my hand, his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on God's. When we forgive, we take a drop of the bucket of forgiveness that we have received from God and pass it on to someone else. Forgiven people, forgive people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible forgiveness that we have received. Strengthen us and so write it on our souls. That in those moments where we are wronged and hurt, those moments that really sting, those moments that wound us, those moments where our pride is injured, that we might 
rather than turning to retaliation or revenge. Be willing to name the sin, but then also to extend the beautiful grace of forgiveness. And through that, make us a community of forgiveness as a testimony to your love and your forgiveness of us. Amen.